Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, meet us here through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Show us who you are, and heal us of our sins. And Lord, today let your word be preached with boldness, heard with attentiveness, and obeyed with readiness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Come down from your mountain, your high-rise apartment, and tell me of the God you know who bleeds. And what to tell my daughter when she asks so many questions and I fail to fill her heaviness with peace. When I have no answers for hurt knees or cancers, but a savior who suffers them with me. Singing goodbye Olympus, the heart of my maker is spread out on the road, the rocks and the weeds. These words from songwriter John Mark McMillan remind us that every question reveals a longing. Beneath the question, are you there, lies the longing to not be alone. Behind the question, why does this happen, why did this happen, sits the longing to be seen and responded to in pain, for someone to acknowledge that it is real, that it really happened, and again, that you are not alone. As we come today to behold the man upon the cross, we must reckon with our own questions and our own longings. For today, you might be asking, why did Jesus die? What did he accomplish? How does it affect me? And friends, those are all eternally important questions. But all of those questions hinge on the who. Who is this one who suffers? Who is this God who bleeds? Who is that man upon the cross? This is the question for us today, and there is a longing that only asking this question will reveal. Each gospel writer captured different ways that people address the man Jesus Christ before and during his crucifixion. All these titles construct a picture of who people thought Jesus was, or at least who they thought that he was claiming to be. Jesus is called the King of the Jews and the King of Israel. Now neither Pilate, the Roman governor, nor Herod, the puppet king of Rome, found Jesus guilty of that title. Herod and Pilate beat Jesus severely, and as a mockery to this title of king, soldiers adorned Jesus with a purple robe and a crown of thorns. The Jewish leaders claimed no other king but Caesar, and cried all the same, crucify him, crucify him. Taking the beaten and bloody Jesus out in front of the crowd, perhaps believing that his broken and bleeding body was punishment enough, Pilate points the crowd to Jesus and says, Behold, the man. He's clearly not a king, and certainly not the kind of deity that Pilate believed in. 
Jesus receives the title of man. He bleeds. He's submissive. He barely answers Pilate's questions. He is a man, able to be broken, bloody, just like anyone else. And the crowds cried all the same, crucify him, crucify him. So Jesus was crucified. The crowds received their request. As Jesus hung upon the cross, the ruler scoffed, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The Mashiach, the anointed one of God, whom Israel had been waiting forever and ever, the one believed to be the rescuer and redeemer, he could not be that man. God promised an anointed ruler, not a man on death row. The Christ would have overcome. The Christ would have never fallen into Rome's hands. The Christ would not have upset the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Christ certainly could not be on that cross, right? The Christ would have saved himself. In their eyes, Jesus was clearly not their Christ. Others in the city walked by to see the spectacle of the man Jesus upon the cross. And they taunted him, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And the chief priests, they joined in, saying, Jesus trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For Jesus said, I am the Son of God. In the end, friend, friends, it was a Roman centurion, the man overseeing Jesus' crucifixion, who was the only one who called Jesus the Son of God without venom in his breath. But it was too late. The centurion acknowledged his title only after Jesus yielded up his spirit, bowed his head, and the very earth shook beneath their feet. They called him Jesus, King of the Jews. Jesus, the man, beaten and bloodied. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Mashiach. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the lifeless body hanging upon a tree. Who is that man upon the cross? He is the only begotten, the eternally beloved of God the Father. He is the only one who could make things right. He is the only one whose death could save. He is God the Son. Jesus Christ carries all those other titles because of who he is. He is the eternally beloved Son of the Father. He is the Son of God who took on flesh for us and for our salvation. God the Son took on all human nature to represent us to his Father. When there is a break in relationship, you have to ask, what will it take to make things right? You see, God created us to partake in the life and love he shares with his Son and his Spirit. The lover, the beloved, and the love between chose to create people capable by grace of partaking in their love and representing that love to the world. 
That is the relationship that sin has broken. Not a mere arbitrary command, but what it means fundamentally to be a human person in relationship with God. And no person could accomplish making that right weighed down by sin. And even if a, person, a human sinless person could, they could not accomplish it at once for all time and for all peoples. So who? Who? Who could qualify for such a sacrifice of love, for the sake of love restored? Only God himself. What would it take to make things right? God had to become man. And God the Son did. You see, his titles only begin to get a ca capture who he is. By taking on our nature, Jesus represents us to the Father. As a man, his death covers our guilt. For he took upon himself the debt that we owe in our sin. His wrongful death defeats death by turning it inside out when it swallows him. His death frees us from our shame. Because he endured that. The loss and the pain and the death and the experience of relational separation from his father for us, for you. That is who he is. As a man, Jesus is our representative to the father. He hangs on the cross in our place, in your place, that we might stand with him before the father. Now as God the Son, Jesus represents the Father to us. One theologian frames it like so. It was at this moment that God's love toward us was defined, not merely exemplified. This is the central moment in human history. And the proclamation of what happened in this moment is the central message of the Christian faith and what it has to offer the world. Christ died for you. Christ died for you. Jesus' death upon the cross is not the mere ideal of self-giving love. Jesus is the only person who could rightfully claim the title love itself. Love gave himself to those who exhaust their highest capacity for evil by killing him. Unjust, unmerited, so as a man, Jesus represents us to his Father, and as God the Son, Jesus represents the Father to us. Friends, that means this is what it looks like for God to be with us. If that horrifies you, if that scandalizes you, if you want to deny that the cross is what it looks like for God to meet humanity in our sin, then you are in company with all those who looked upon the cross that Good Friday. They couldn't believe it either. Who is that man upon the cross? He is God with us. The Emmanuel we welcomed at Advent. This is the culmination of what he came for in his humanity. The cross is what it looks like for God to be with us. Humanity could commit no more unjust, wicked, and evil act than to kill God the Son on the cross. 
And in that moment, when humanity exhausted our fullest capacity and the full measure of evil we could commit against God, his love meets us. We know what it looks like for God to come to us. We know because we killed him. As our representative, Jesus shows us where we really are and who we really are. So as we ask the question, who is that man upon the cross? It reveals our longing to be loved like that. To be loved really, truly as we are. That there's no depth at which God would not go to meet us, to rescue us, to heal us. God knows exactly who we are. He knows exactly what it costs to be with us, to be with you. He knows that sin is something foreign, alien, unoriginal to who we are, even if we know life no other way. The beloved of the Father looked upon us in love. And the beloved of God offers no cheap tricks or quick fixes. His love lays that claim upon us, upon you. And we must begin only by receiving that love, because that's who we really are. We need that kind of love. So are you willing? Are you willing to meet Christ on his cross? As a man, he was willing to suffer experience and forsakenness of his Father on our behalf. As God, he came to meet us to heal us, to invite us into the relationship he's always shared with his Father. There is no other stream of healing water and life than the tears and blood of Christ on the cross. He offers us nothing less than his full measure of himself. So when you have no answers for hurt knees, hurricanes, or cancers, there is a Savior who suffers with us. There is a Lord who fulfills all our longings. We must behold that man upon the cross and none other. There's a frightening Renaissance painting of the Antichrist. The deceiver Christ is painted to look as a mirror image of Jesus on the other side of the canvas. So how do you tell which is who? How do you tell the genuine Christ? The deceiver has no scars. Several months ago, I was sitting in one of those back pews at a Compline service. It was being sung. And looking upon that cross, I, I, I have never experienced anything like it. I looked at the feet of Jesus and I could not look away. I couldn't pick my head up. To look at those feet and the scars, to know that kind of love was enough in that moment. Friends, the love of God carries those scars for you and for me. Part of what we take from Good Friday throughout the rest of the year is the Christ who bears those scars in his body, his wounds. The hands which embrace you and the Father's love bear the wounds of your redemption. And by those wounds, we 
are healed. So today, as we behold the cross, and as we journey to the empty tomb and beyond, look to the Christ who bears scars. For he was the one upon the cross. And he is the one representing us to the Father and the Father to us, even at this very moment. Amen.